Welcome to Compliance Beat, the podcast for compliance and ethics professionals. We provide practical insights and answer your questions about compliance and ethics. Together, we'll stay up to date on current trends so that your program stays effective. Brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Here's your host, Eric Moorhead. Hey there, everybody. It's uh, time for another edition of Compliance Beat. I have a special edition today. We're going to talk to our good friend, Tom Fox. Uh, about a new compliance book that he has authored that is just coming out. Uh, information about uh, more information about that is in the show notes. Also in the show notes, please check out our free webinar in two days on uh, or three days now on Thursday, May twenty fourth at ten a.m. Central, eleven a.m. Eastern. We're going to be putting on a webinar, a free webinar, with our friends from SAI Global called Cracking the Code of Conduct, Understanding Regulatory and Stakeholder Expectations for Code of Conduct. This webinar has been approved for 1.2 CCBCEUs. For those of you with the Certified Compliance and Ethics Professional designation, um, you can get uh, a couple, an hour and some change in credit for free. Uh, you can listen to us talk about code of conduct, expectations, some of the things we've talked about on this podcast, but some other ideas around developing your code and benchmarking your code of conduct and putting together a code of conduct uh, revision project that you might find helpful. So again, join us on Thursday, May the 24th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 Eastern. Uh, if you're interested in signing up for that, uh, the link to the registration will be in the show notes on compliancebeat.com. Uh, I believe those show notes also show up in the feed in iTunes. Uh, if you have any question about it, you can always email us. Uh, I'm eric at moreheadconsulting.com, or you can email us from the compliancebeat.com website or the Moorhead Consulting website. As I mentioned, I have a special uh, conversation today with Tom Fox. Uh, so with no further ado, let's uh, jump right into that and ha have a listen to my conversation just a couple days ago with Tom. Today on the podcast, we have a special guest, Tom Fox. Those of you who have been in compliance for any amount of time are probably familiar with Tom. Uh, he has written over 15 books on compliance leadership and business ethics over the years, and he has just released a brand new book entitled The Complete Compliance Handbook. It's being published by Compliance Week. Uh, Tom and I talked beforehand, and it's actually available as you listen to this. If you're interested, you can check it out on Amazon. Uh, the book uh, talks about the recent pronouncements and guidance from our friends at the Department of Justice, including the famous checklist that's not a checklist, the 2017 Evaluation of Corporate Compliance Programs memo, uh, the FCPA Corporate Enforcement Policy, the, those changes that we saw last fall, and up-to-date advice on best practices for your compliance program all in one volume. Uh, the promise in the uh, blurb, uh, Tom, is that in literally 31 days, uh, you can more fully oper operationalize your compliance regime uh, using the guidance in this book. Uh, uh, Tom, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Uh, it's really a pleasure and honor to be here. Uh, Tom, uh, why did you, you've written several books in the past. Why did you want to write this particular book? Right, for, for several years, I've wanted to write the a definitive single volume on what constitutes a best practices compliance program. And uh, I found, realized that uh, it wasn't going to 
uh, do itself, right itself. <laughs> so I basically took off last year to to do so. And uh, do you, did you uh, one of the things that we've talked about a lot in the last year, and you mentioned it prominently in the description of the book, is the uh, uh, further guidance that we received from the department, uh, not only the 2017 memo, but some of the changes to the U.S. Attorney's Manual and, and other pronouncements. Uh, did you feel like uh, there was some I, – I, I know that this has been a perspective that I've heard elsewhere, that there was some muddying of the waters, if you will, as to what the expectations might be and that uh, perhaps it made sense to try to uh, uh, pull all these strands together and figure out what, what makes the most sense? Well, I would like to say that I anticipated both of those um, release of those documents, but I can't make that claim. Uh, <laughs> I don't think anybody did. I, it was a surprise. Uh, but the, right. Both of them were. Yeah. The, the first document, the Evaluation of Corporate Compliance Programs, turns out had been written two years previously, but not released to the public. And a lot of the concepts that were in that document had been discussed by DOJ representatives, uh, Leslie Caldwell, Compliance Counsel Wei Chin, Andrew Wiseman, uh, FCPA unit head Dan Kahn at conferences, but we didn't really know the source of those comments. And so to have that in one document was extremely helpful. The new FCPA corporate enforcement policy announced in late November uh, took some components of the 2016 FCPA pilot program and made those permanent, or at least incorporated them into the U.S. Attorney's Manual for enforcement. But they also had a fair number of uh, pieces of information about what the DOJ uh, thought constituted the best practices compliance program. So I've incorporated both of those documents into this text, and that is really one thing that makes this volume stand out, Eric. There's no one text that has the most recent DOJ pronouncements uh, in it for the compliance practitioner. No, no, I, I think that's a good point. Uh, the you know we've been discussing it for the last uh, year and a couple of months, uh, but I, I think that the uh, there's still I find many clients that aren't even aware that it was released. And part of it is, as we pointed out, it was, nobody was expecting it, um, and it uh, and I think it was. I'm trying to remember I, I, who, who exactly noticed it on their website, but it just kind of popped up on their website uh, and circulated back in February of 2017. And, uh, I, you know, there was no no fanfare whatsoever. Uh, and, I, right. and I find that uh, organizations still don't really understand uh, some of the queries because it's for those who haven't seen it, uh, it's structured as a series of queries. Uh, and and it's really you know completely different from the guidance we've seen in the past. I think I think it's fair to say pretty different from the guidance we've seen uh, released in the past on compliance programs. I would agree with that. Uh, and uh, uh, well, we talked about a little bit about what you try to do and what's included in the book. Um, who do you think uh, would benefit from from uh, uh, getting a copy of the complete compliance handbook? What, what's the audience you're trying to reach? So uh, although it's written uh, with a FCPA focus, it, it, that is not um, the structure of it, nor uh, should it be limited to an anti-corruption compliance program. It really takes uh, the elements of almost every compliance program, whether AML, export control, uh, uh, anti-corruption compliance, and I lay them out in the framework of the 10 hallmarks. Uh, but it's designed for any compliance practitioner, literally from a chief compliance officer, someone with as much experience as yourself or myself, perhaps even more, to the to the new compliance practitioner. 
Mm-hmm. I've written it in a way that it's practical guidance of uh, things you can do. And you mentioned the, the 31 days chapter. The book opens with 31 days to a more effective compliance program where I literally go through 31 days, of uh, things you can do one thing per day at little or no cost with three key takeaways from each day to help a compliance practitioner incorporate uh, or enhance their compliance program going forward. Yeah, and, and I, I think that that, you know, uh, focusing on the practical is something that I always look for when I'm looking for uh, any kind of resource or if I'm directing any of my clients or anybody who asks me uh, to a resource. I think that that's, uh, uh, I mean, we've all, uh, for those of us who who have uh, been in the compliance field for a while and have gone to a lot of events at SCCE or ECI or even ABA events, uh, you can get uh uh, you can go. You can go see people talk, kind of big picture, and you can see a lot of white papers out there that that talk about big picture. But to get to practical, I think is really uh, what a lot of practitioners need. Um, uh, one, one one thing you mentioned, which I think is important, and I've, I've tried to stress it in some of the discussions, is that it is it is clear that the guidance uh, from from February 2017, uh, it comes from the perspective of uh, resolving or reviewing or settling uh, anti-corruption cases. Uh, but what I like to point out is even those aspects that might seem foreign to, uh, let's say, a purely domestic organization that uh, at least doesn't believe they have any anti-corruption uh, risk exposure, that when you talk about things like, for instance, third-party due diligence, that applies the, the, the tools and, and processes and best practices that have been developed in the anti-corruption field for third-party due diligence and uh, ongoing maintenance of uh, third-party relationships works in many other contexts. I mean, I think that's something that uh, people ought to realize is that there's, there's a lot, of, lot that's been developed around FCPA and anti-corruption that, that can apply across the board. Is that what you found when you were putting this together? Absolutely, Eric, and that's a that's a great observation because the greatest risk in uh, anti-corruption compliance is generally viewed as third party. So there's a lot of work and thought put in around that. But in other areas of compliance, such as money laundering, the focus is more on following the money. So I've taken some of the best techniques from uh, anti-money laundering and incorporated those into the book as well to help the anti-compliance Client, excuse me, anti-corruption compliance practitioner or any others understand how do you follow the money trail, why it's important to understand where the money's going, is it authorized under the contract, and is it being sent to the uh, location specified in the contract? All standard anti-money laundering inquiries, but not as standard for other types of compliance. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, I, I know that when I initially looked at it, I, I had a sense, I'm talking about the 2017 uh, uh, memoranda, the Evaluation of Corporate Compliance Programs, I, I had a sense that there were, were, were going to be people that looked at it and said, oh, this doesn't apply to me because uh, I don't have anti-corruption risk or I'm not, I'm really concerned about uh, you know, the bread and butter risks that our organization faces and this doesn't really apply to me. But I think that you can adapt those tools, uh, wherever they might come from, whether it's anti-corruption or AML or or uh, uh, any other um, more specific, if you will, compliance risk uh, programming, and 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 find what works and adapt it 
to your broader program. Another example is, um, and you know, we're we're both here in Texas. Uh, a lot of organizations have a really well-developed uh, HSE program, health safety and environment program, or or safety program. And uh, I find over and over again that uh, uh, when they're trying to implement other compliance uh, training, communication, or other parts of their program, they they overlook this well-developed system or or, or uh, apparatus that's already in place for safety. Uh, I think that the same is true for anti-corruption uh, and third-party due diligence and, and some of these other tools. Is if it's already developed and they're the those tools are either already available in your organization or they've already been developed for another purpose, you know, uh, don't remake the wheel. Uh, adapt what's what's available and what makes sense. Uh, you're absolutely right. But uh, going back to the evaluation, Eric, it, it uh, had a series of inquiries that I think many of us in the compliance field had really not thought or focused on as much. So for instance, phone oh. at the top, they, they started talking about conduct at the top. And then how do you measure the senior executive's conduct? And I think many companies had never really thought about, gosh, we need to, to evaluate their conduct at the top, not simply the fact that they've sent out an email about uh, doing business in compliance or tailored training and effective training. All of these terms we'd, uh, I think, heard of, but having them in the evaluation really crystallized people's thinking about the need to more fully operationalize their compliance program. And that's what I try to do in the book. Yeah, yeah. And the other biggie is just measurement generally. Uh, uh, Shot throughout that document is the notion that you ought to be able to measure uh, the effectiveness uh, of your program. We've been talking about effective programs since that that term was put into the sentencing guidelines 15 years ago. But it's it's still um, I I think a lot of uh, organizations would say, you know, say, yeah, our program's effective because we've we've we have a program. We put it together. We put resources there. But there wasn't measurement. And and to be frank, you know, lawyers like you and I, that's not you know, unless we happen to have have come to it uh, after we got out of law school, that's not what we're trained to do is to go out and measure uh, risk or, or, or put together um, uh, metrics to 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 uh, uh, to try to to try to measure effectiveness of a of a training program or, or a communication effort. And that is a key piece of, of this guidance. And one of the areas, you know, that Obviously, that that you know, if you look at my podcast, you know I talk about code of conduct all the time. Even code of conduct, there's an expectation uh, that there's going to be some sort of thought uh, put into the process at the beginning uh, when you're when people are putting together a methodology for their for their uh, written standards and 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 uh, including code of conduct, and that there's going to be some sort of measurement on the back end of the effectiveness of those tools. So um, that's really specific and, and, and new. You're absolutely right uh, from as far as written guidance comes from the Department of Justice. So that's, a, that's an important and, and as you said, a new thing that it wasn't around uh, prior to February 2017, at least not in written form. And I guess the, uh, the last thing uh, that the evaluation gave us, and by us, I actually mean you and I, Eric, it was certainly one thing for you and I to say, we anticipate that the Department of Justice expects tailored training. We anticipate that the Department yeah. of Justice expects a measurement. But now we have a document which says they did expect it, and that's a question that they will make inquiry of. And I think it makes it more powerful for for people like yourself and myself who try to, to be educators, try to be trainers, try to lead the discussion. But it also helps 
I think corporations understand more directly their obligations under a best practice compliance program when you can literally wave the document in their in, in, in front of them and say, this is what the department said, not what Eric thinks the department wants to do or Tom Fox thinks. So I think it was very helpful for, for people in the commentary area such as us. Oh, absolutely. And and I'm also glad that you didn't wait for the book to write itself, Tom, and that you actually took the time to do it because uh, I think it could be really valuable for anybody who, as you say, is either trying to uh, get their arms around a new responsibility that they have uh, for compliance and they're, and, and they're at the beginning stages or have a, a mature program and they need to go back and make sure that they're answering all these questions. Uh, that have become much more uh, distinct and in, in, uh, specific in the last couple of years. So I think it works for, for everybody along the spectrum, and I'm glad you took the time to do it. Well, thank you very much. And uh, uh, hopefully you can join us again in the not-too-distant future uh, as, uh, as we live in interesting times, as the, uh, the alleged proverb goes. And there's lots of, uh, lots of things that are going on, not only with our, our friends at the Department of Justice, but... Uh, 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 all, uh, you know, all across the uh, compliance realm. So thanks again for joining us and, and look forward to talking to you next time, Tom. Thank you, Eric. Thanks for listening to Compliance Beat. Check out our website, compliancebeat.com. This podcast is brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Be sure to check us out at moorheadconsulting.com.